Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, November the 7th, 2022. It's award season for the book business. Uh, we've done the Kund Hill History Prize. Uh, we've talked to a couple of the finalists, Ada Ferrer, wonderful book on Cuba, uh, Vladislav Zubak, another remarkable book on the collapse of the Soviet Union. Lots of other prizes in progress. And uh, the daddy of all business book prizes is the Financial Times Book Prize. Uh, they've just gone down to a short list of six. Uh, the prize is going to be announced at the beginning of December uh, in a month's time. Andrew Hill, my guest on the show today, is the uh, is one of the Financial Times's most uh, distinguished writers on business. And he's also the man who coordinates a lot of the editorial content uh, for the FT Prize. Uh, Andrew, welcome. He's talking to me from St. Albans, where he's stranded because of... Uh, uh, a real or, or imagined um, railway uh, striker. Andrew, welcome. Uh, my pleasure to be here, Andrew. So I'm thrilled, uh, Andrew, or I'm, at least I'm honoured for myself, for the keen on point of view, that uh, you've narrowed the book prize down, the, the shortlist down to six, and four of those books have been uh, on the show, four of the guests. Um, uh and uh so tell me about the, the six books and i will not be shy to remind you of who has and hasn't appeared on the show <laughs> yeah um yeah so uh, the narrowing down is done by our judges from a long list of 15 or so um and the six this year are dead in the water uh by kitchell and matthew campbell uh which is about the um uh, attack on a oil tanker off yemen um, which turned out to be a, no plot spoilers here, massive fraudulent um, attempt on the uh, insurance industry. It's a sort of thriller-like narrative. Uh, Influence Empire, which is Lulu Chen's book about Tencent, um, the Chinese tech company and uh, developer of the everything app WeChat. Uh, the Rise and Fall of the Neoliberal Order, Gary Gerstle, I think you've had him on, um, the Power Law about venture capital in Silicon Valley by Sebastian Malaby. Uh, Chip War by Chris Miller about, very topical, about the semiconductor stresses in the supply chain and the geopolitical implications of semiconductor wars. Uh, and Disorder by Helen Thompson, which is about how energy has always been the kind at the root of geopolitical tension since the Second World War. Those are the six. So we've had Gerstle. Malaby, Miller and Thompson on the show, and I'm going to try and get the dead in the water and story of Tencent uh, before you announce your prize at the beginning of December. Right. Uh, Andrew, are there editorial connections between these six books? What do they tell us about the world of business books in 2022? Well, I guess what we found this year, and obviously this is, you know, there's an element of curation in, in the prize. Uh, we have about 600 entries that come in, uh, which I suppose give a sampling of what's going on in business books. I think what uh, the judges were after this year was something that really went to address 
if you like, the geopolitics, uh, business and geopolitics. And that's reflected in this list by, by Helen Thompson's book, by, by Chip War, um, obviously by the rise and fall of the, of the neoliberal order, uh, and on the wider long list where we had more books that were uh, addressing some of these geopolitical tensions. So there's an element of that. Of course, you know, you can't do that every year and and because there's such a lag in terms of publication. Business books take a long time to bring to market and often you are lagging by a year or two on current events. So I guess the last time that we felt that the book award had to kind of reflect the um, uh, the, the topicality of the moment was back in the mid 2000s, late 2000s, when the financial crisis hit. And we were on the lookout for books that that addressed that. Um, but they're also supposed to stand the test of time. That's one of the sub um, criteria for the award. Uh, so you don't want to go too soon either. In a way, uh, you want you want to be looking for books that are still going to be read five, 10, even 20 years out. Uh, and that's that's tricky. I mean, I'm not sure well, whether we've the, achieved the that. Tricky. That's the challenges of the uh, of the publishing business generally. Yeah. Um. So in a sense, you are the business canaries in the in the coal mine. It's one of the things that struck me about the prize. Um. The one thing missing, Gerstle, Malaby, Miller, Thompson, the other two books, was there's nothing about digital. Last year, you gave the prize to Nicole Perlroth. Uh, this is how they tell me the world ends. Nicole was on the show last year, too. A book about surveillance capitalism. Um, do you think that the world now is kind of over all these books on the internet and digital and we found bigger problems? Well, there is an element of that. I mean, Nicole's book was very prescient, obviously, and still cybersecurity remains a, a you know big threat, even with, with um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine back in the headlines again, as far as that's concerned. Um, we had a few years uh, where we picked books or the judges picked books for both winners, winners and shortlist that were pretty um, tech-based. Tech um, you know, we went with the uh, uh, No Filter Sarah Fry's book about uh, Instagram. Uh, we had the a few years before that we had the Martin Ford book, Rise of the Robots, um, and Bad Blood, which was about the um, the Theranos scandal, which I suppose was a a techno, sort of Silicon Valley startup type of uh, type of book. I don't know whether it's over. I mean, I think there's obviously there's possibly mm. a bit of fatigue about the um, the stories that tell you about the wonderful startup that's going to rule the world, and then you have the ones that tell you about how it didn't come off bad blood being a good example of that um so possibly that kind of trope of business books has has ebbed a bit and and i think there is you know clearly things have been pretty terrible in the wider world over the last two or three years uh and and quite possibly people have decided or publishers have decided uh those books are not the ones that people want to read at this this particular moment they want something that's a bit more clear on the topical news that's that's you know flooding our screens and uh, keeping us worried yeah i'm the the book that i have probably referred to more than any other over the last year is gerstel's rise and fall of the neoliberal order right. i thought it was a very good book although i didn't like the last chapter i think he he got a little too close to the to his subject and he wrote too much about the contemporary age i think he could have just chopped that last bit off uh, clearly we're at the end 
of a moment in world history, whether we call it the neoliberal order or Thatcher-Reaganism or whatever it is. You guys at the FT have a front seat on this. I was also intrigued that two of the books are actually Four of the books that got knocked off the long list are also on this theme. Uh, the Robeson book um, on Boeing, The Moral Crisis at Boeing, Brad DeLong's book, which actually I was surprised didn't get on the shortlist. Um, Ed, Ed, uh, Edward Chancellor's book on, on interest rates and Burroughs' book on dirty money. They all talk about this moral crisis of one kind or another of capitalism, which, as I said, you guys at the FT... Uh, have a front row on, and, and and most people would assume the FT are cheerleaders for capitalism, but I don't really think you are at the moment, are you? Well, I guess judging from the book award, which is perhaps not the right lens through which to look at kind of FT uh, view overall, you know, the, somebody's done a recent um, academic piece about the books that got onto the book award uh, shortlist at any rate, and worked out that, you know, journalists are writing most of them. And journalists are always on the lookout for kind of what's gone wrong, scandal books, what what brought something down. I suppose you didn't mention Bill Cohen's book about uh, GE, which was also on the long list. Power yeah, uh, the only reason I bring the, the the Robeson, the DeLong, the Burrow and the Chancellor books up, because they were all on the show. I didn't have Cohen on the show, but that's right. another interesting book. Well, it's only just come out, I think. So you may be getting one later. Yeah, the, so I'll have to uh, get him. I mean, so, I mean, I think there are the, clearly those are books or books that you've mentioned, which are about that moment. Um, and I think, you know, it has been a challenge and judges have sometimes we, we draw from a wide range of judges. The only FT judge on the judging panel is the chair, Lionel Barber, then editor and now the current editor, Rudolf Halaf, who chairs the panel. Um, and the others who are non-FT, you know, some of them do challenge us to say, you know, this long list looks a bit. You know, it looks a bit like an attack on business. Where are the books that say, you know, what what's happened that makes business, uh, you know, into a, a force for uh, at least uh, progress um, over the years? And so I, I guess we've reflected to some degree the choice of journalists, first of all, writing about those um, corporate and capitalist problems and publishers then choosing those books to put on their lists. Um you know, I think the, the FT in its own way has always been in my time at the FT, uh, and it's had the front row seat, obviously, as you mentioned, for the for what's happened in corporate capitalism over the last 30 years. Um, and occasionally being in the front row, we've, we've found ourselves witnessing stuff that we've not liked. You know, you yeah, have to you're not only say, on the front row, you're on the screen. Um You've got a new editor, or relatively new editor. You mentioned Lionel Barber. Uh, Rula, Rulaf Kalaf has taken over, former uh, journalist in the Middle East. Um, I noted before talking to you, Andrew, looking at her Twitter feed, um, and she she connects with a piece about degrowth in Japan, suggesting this may be something that people um, that, that's going to become quite fashionable, the idea of degrowth. Do you think the FT has stood still ideologically over the last 25 years or has the world moved? You know, when I was growing up, I never imagined I'd read the FT. It's probably true of most young people. Uh, but today it's my natural newspaper. I think of myself as a relatively conventional liberal. Uh, has the world gone mad and, and, and the FT remains sane or has the FT shifted its position, do you think? 
Do you mean specifically on the issue? Well, of not on the issue of growth, or... but on the issue of capitalism, on the issue mm -hmm. of neoliberalism and what comes after neoliberalism, on, on building a more moral and more equitable global capitalist order. Yeah, I don't think the that, world I mean, has changed or the FT. I think that maybe to FT some extent. Readers. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, I mean, I think if you, our readers remain you know, pretty red in tooth and claw about the capitalists program and are pretty critical, certainly those, you know, it's a self-selecting bunch who who comment on articles are pretty um, critical if we go too far down the, uh, certainly down the degrowth um, route. Um, there's the same criticism that you hear in the States of of wokeness if, uh, if things are written in that direction. I think the FT itself has moved to some extent in that direction. Um, I wrote a series in 2019 about the difficulty of trying to um, lead purpose-led businesses like Danone and uh, Unilever and so on, uh, and the sort of trade-offs that uh, leaders were now having to make. And of course, we discover compared with when I started in the FT uh, 30 years ago, um, we're now expecting leaders, corporate leaders in particular, to, uh, to start to be public about some of the politics um, and political issues and identity issues uh, that in the 90s, they would have said, well, that's just none of my business. I'm just getting on with uh, producing shareholder value. So I think we've shifted to cover more of that, definitely. Um, and, you know, to some extent, the, to talk about the end of the neoliberal order, the, um, uh, the shocks of Trump and in the UK of Brexit, certainly represented shocks as well to a worldview that the FT uh, held and holds. So uh, I think some of that has, has, both those trends have provided plenty of food for thought and plenty of fuel for, uh, for writers. Andrew, another of the prizes this year, the Bailey Gifford Prize for nonfiction is crowing, I think, about only having a, a female shortlist. You've still got a lot of white men on your list. Gerstle, Malaby, mm. Miller, um, in particular, distinguished, you know, famous white men. At Malaby's wife is the editor of The Economist. Miller teaches at Tufts, Gerstle at Cambridge. Did you, I mean, obviously, Helen Thompson is a woman, but she also is the professor of political economy at Cambridge University. Do you have to be careful about that um, in terms of a, of a balance of identities, of genders, of races or is that something that you try to avoid at the ft when Look, it comes to the prize well i think when it comes to the prize you know i think we have to think about what the balance looks like in terms of themes uh, i think we have to think about what the balance looks like in so in, in diversity broadly spoken uh broadly speaking is an issue when trying to build a a, a balanced long list um i think you know we, it, i would say looking at the 600 entries, and I haven't done the calculation this year, it's always a surprise to me uh, how comparatively few women there are among the authors of the of the wider entries. I don't know how that stacks up across the world of business publishing. Uh, but, you know, my readout is that we're probably lucky if a third of the authors of the books entered are women. So um, from that point of view I think you have to go back a few steps to find the uh, the root of an issue of 
whiteness and maleness, if that's even something that 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 should be taken into account. I, I would be the first, having operated the prize since two thousand and five, to say that you know in the in the early years uh, there probably weren't enough women represented on those on the on the long list or short list um, at that point. But we have had some you know great short list entries, uh, and I, I think the turning point for that. For us to become more aware of that was the same turning point that other people have had. The uh, uh, the publication of Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg's book, uh, which I think made the shortlist that year, and uh, I think it made quite a lot of our judges think, okay, we need to we need to think about this a bit more broadly. So um, you know, it's an element of of the divert the wider diversity of the list that's bound to be you know bound to be thought of. Uh, as we're as we're building the uh, the list every year, Andrew, the, the prize comes with thirty thousand uh, pounds. The runners up get ten thousand, uh, right. five or ten thousand. Um, thirty thousand pounds used to be worth a lot more dollars, but it's still a nice amount. Where does that <laughs> money come from? So the uh, over the eighteen years of the prize, uh, it's had two partners sponsors. Uh, Goldman Sachs in the first nine years and McKinsey, which is just coming to the end of the of a nine year stint. So um, they are the backers, uh, and then the FT organises the prize, uh, the uh, the the events that are set up for the main award ceremony, and certainly before the pandemic, we used to have a uh, a, a ceremony for the announcement of the shortlist as well. Um, so that's the that's the substance of it. And then we have a sister prize, the Brackenbauer Prize, uh, which has a £15,000 prize for book proposals by under 35s. That's a kind of uh, um, new author or young author prize, which has actually fostered quite a lot of books that have finally come to come to the shelves a couple of years. Yeah, after I, I want to talk about that prize. Actually, mm -hmm. we had Last year's winner, Andrew Leon Hanna, his book, 25 Million Sparks, won as an interesting book. I'm curious, are, are, um, are McKinsey still the sponsor? Because I know that um, uh, Mariano Mazuchatu has a new That's book a out exposing, yeah. I, 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 it probably won't qualify for 2022, but it will for 23. And she's a heavyweight economist, um, very credible writer and thinker. She has a book out attacking the whole uh McKinsey uh consulting world uh how might that compromise the fact that McKinsey is a sponsor of the prize well I think her book's due out next year at which right point, I'm saying uh, but I think McKinsey uh, so, will be so will I understand be. that but I mean how would that work if McKinsey's sponsoring it and you have a book attacking the world of McKinsey well, I guess the I guess the comparison there would be the um the Goldman Sachs sponsorship. So as we got to the end of that period, I think they stopped in 2008 or 2009. Obviously, we were facing, um, it must have been a couple of years later, actually, but the, uh, the, we were facing the, the backlash from the financial crisis. And uh, there were a, a number of books, a lot of books that we considered that, that the FT filtering process that I helped to run selected for the long list that clearly were talking about um, Goldman and other banks, Wall Street and their city banks, and their role in in the crisis. And um, you know they were considered alongside the uh, alongside the rest. I, I mean, 
Lloyd Blankfein, who was on the original judging panel, eventually recused himself from, from the judging. Um, that was, I think, the only impact of that. And those books were considered alongside alongside the others. So, you know, it's a, I mean, there's a question, obviously, when you've got a partnership, how far, how far do you go? But the the initial selection of the uh, of the long list is uh, filtered entirely by FT writers and journalists, and the second phase of the judging. Uh, and I've sat in on almost all the judging processes since the beginning of the prize in two thousand and five. Is always pretty robust, and I have to say, you know, without fear or favour, to quote the FT um, slogan. So uh, it doesn't actually have an it doesn't actually have an impact on the uh, on the outcomes and those books, if they're good enough, will get through to the uh, to the long list and the short list. You're promoting the prize heavily. Uh, I think your your Twitter handle for your, for the live video. I think the announcement of the short list got sixty one thousand views. Um, how important is this for the FT as an investment, both financially and symbolically? Has it become uh, perhaps the the highlight of the year? Your early December award ceremony for business book of the year is this uh is this the moment when the ft celebrates itself its idea and its business you're owned now by a, a japanese company is that correct yeah that's right uh and in fact somebody was pointing out that we actually haven't had i don't think any books about japanese companies on the long list since we started in two. what does that say about the japanese economy Andy? yeah maybe maybe <laughs> um the uh, uh there's a kind of uh, i think the i mean you know, I, I'm the person who was bound to say this, but I think it's a very prestigious event. You know, we before the pandemic, we were staging it. And I hope we'll go back to staging it every other year in London and the off off year or the other year in New York. So it was a transatlantic celebration, really, of business book publishing um, and, you know, draws in a wide audience, not just publishing, but media more widely, um, banking, uh, you know, Wall Street and the city. And uh, a, a you know variety of of great guests and speakers for those events. So you know it's a big event. It's a celebration of how many people come. The FT. Uh, that's you're out of. I'm out of my comfort zone there in but terms a few of hundred, numbers. I mean, but it's, it's a not few like hundred, the Oscars, yeah. right? I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's quite. It's pretty prestigious. And and I think one of the great advantages of it is it's a, an event that very much focuses on the winner of this prize and of the Brackenbauer. Yeah, it says something about the Brackenbauer because in a way that's a much more innovative prize. It's a it's a book prize for a book that hasn't been written to uh, potential writers under 35. Tell me a bit yeah. more about that. Yeah, well, it's the same, more or less the same principle as the book award, which look, the book award looks for the most, uh, um, uh, for the uh, books with the, and most compelling and enjoyable insights into modern business issues. And there's a similar form of words for the book proposals. Uh, people for that book proposal have to enter a kind of 5,000 word um, entry, which includes an idea of how the book's going to be written, the qualifications of the writer, the structure, chapter structure, and so on, a, a sort of outline proposal, if you like. And uh, again, it's filtered uh, it's judged by uh, a smaller group of, of outside judges uh, and the winners, as I say, and quite a few of the finalists have gone on to find publishers. And, and a lot of them credit the prize with having helped them to, to get to that point. And actually, to your 
diversity point, I think the range of winners and finalists has been much more balanced, actually, in that younger generation, which perhaps, you know, gives some hope that the imbalance that I was mentioning in the business publishing, business book publishing in general might be kind of offset as this younger generation comes through. So, you know, we're rather proud of that prize, which started when McKinsey started to back the award as a way of fostering, um, you know, young talent. Um, I mean, 35, we have some pretty well-qualified writers by the time they get into their early 30s, professors and others who have who've made a name for themselves in in academia and occasionally may have written another book. But it's a it's a great sort of talent spotting exercise. Andrew, you wrote an interesting piece recently in the FT on what you called the rise of business books and the blurring of the lines of media format. Um, these books, though, most of the books on uh, the list are fairly traditional histories or analyses of business. Uh, in terms of this year's selection, are there any that you think have, have crossed these these lines of media formats? Any that lend themselves or to, to, to podcasting or video or might lend themselves? Well, I guess the one that fits into that, that that group of books that I was talking about there were mainly the journalistic ones, the narratives on scandals or investigations, um, which you know increasingly become podcasts uh, and sometimes Netflix series or, or movies. Um, I mean, my own colleague, Dan McCrum, wrote about the Wirecard scandal. Yeah, Dan was on the show series. too. And he, yeah. he, he, so did he miss the cut this year? Uh, well, we don't, you're not eligible if you're an FT oh, writer. See. So um, he wouldn't have been on it, although the book and, and, the, uh, and the surrounding uh, movie and of yeah, course a brave man and he was very honest oh, right. actually I, he, I did a great interview with him where he he acknowledged some of the ups and downs even internally in the ft about his quest to expose wirecard yes yeah it's a bit it's a great kind of insight into into what investigative journalists go through with uh, both internally and externally but i think of the of the shortlist the, the only one that's probably fits into that category will be dead in the water the um the, the book about the uh, the oil tanker and sort of global shipping industry and the enablers and funders and fraudsters who who um, parade the world's shipping channels. Um, and that one that one seems to me it would have scope for a cinematic treatment of some sort if somebody wanted to go for it. But when I wrote that article, Bill Cohen, who we mentioned before, I interviewed for it, and he was a bit curmudgeonly about it, saying, you know, lots of people will assume that they're going to get the big Hollywood prize, but you can wait a long time, even if your book's been optioned before anybody comes and actually stumps up the money and makes the movie. So um, he's more in the traditional old school of um, let's just write the book. Uh, Andrew, do you think, though, that aspiring writers of financial books, of business books, need to be a little bit more media savvy, need to be on Twitter, even if Elon Musk owns it, needs to have their own podcast, needs to be comfortable? with online videos. I found, and I won't mention any names, that some business authors are certainly more modern, more adept with this technology than others. Yeah, I think it, I think it's becoming one of the ways in which to promote, I mean, on a very, you know, modest level. I wrote a non-business book, Ruskin Land, about John Ruskin, the British yeah. thinker, a few years ago. And, you know, I, I did a little Twitter and Instagram and a set under a separate handle 
in order to promote that. And it seemed like it was an important thing to do in order to get in order to widen the audience. And also I found it fun. But I think actually if you if you don't enjoy it, you're probably not going to show, you're not, probably not going to do it very well in that case. And maybe you need to stick then to the uh, the traditional promotion of of the books uh, of the book, but increasingly, I think in this area, journalists are very savvy on social media, and the, so if they're writing books, they're going to be quick to get out there and use their various channels uh, to promote them. So, to some degree, it depends a little sort of horses for courses. Who who do you want to reach? How do you want to reach them? Are there ways in which you can do that? Uh, differently these days with with all the other channels and right through to podcasting uh, and some of these ventures that I mentioned there that have been set up to try and start with a podcast as a way of um, you know promote it which then becomes a book you know it's almost reversed the process that we might previously have thought of. The FT likes to think of itself as the world's business newspaper it's certainly the most global of all the, the credible English language newspapers um, how global is your coverage and your audience for this, particularly in China? A couple of the books deal quite centrally with China. Chris Miller's book about the chip war, uh, which is a sort of a parable of the growing economic war between the United States and China and the story of Tencent. Um, I haven't read that book and I haven't talked to the authors. I'm not sure how much of a challenge it is to the authorities in Beijing. But what kind of coverage do you get of this around the world, particularly in China? Yeah, you know what, I'm not sure. I mean, I think when we started the book in uh, book award in 2005, I thought, and I think the then editor, Andrew Gowers, probably thought, may even have written at the time, uh, that we were going to be actually bringing more authors, discovering more authors writing in English. That's a That's a criterion for the award. We're not reviewing lots of books in Chinese, for example. But I thought we we would we would have more authors coming from uh, outside the sort of core territories, if you like, for business book publishing of, of the UK, US, and perhaps Australia. Um, India uh, is an interesting um, area where there are a lot of books now entered by Indian authors. We've we have um, ha had a number of books, I think, on the long list. Just trying to remember of about obviously the rise of india um but yeah your former it's more of a indian correspondent who's now in singapore and in james crabtree yeah yeah james is an old friend of the show as well so i guess yeah. if you if you're a former ft writer do you, do you can you can you get on the prize yes you can i mean the the the, the judging criteria are pretty clear that if you're if you're currently employed by the ft um you're excluded i mean you you might um that would be clearly uh, beyond the pale, but clearly James um, had moved beyond the FT at the point where he wrote his book. So it was it was eligible. Uh, but yeah, the Chinese, I mean, the Chinese market for business books, as I understand it from talking to people there, um, is is a strange one because there's there are great um, you know shelves full of books praising particular Chinese entrepreneurs provided they're in favor. Um, and obviously translations of some of the books that we've featured about China, but to what extent that that is then censored or um, bodlerized for the Chinese market, I don't know. And and the Tencent book might be an interesting, will be an interesting interview. I don't know Lulu Chen, the author, but... Uh, yeah, clearly... I'm definitely, uh, definitely going to do that book. Do you have a, I mean, have the uh, 
have the bookies found your show uh your your prize uh andrew <laughs> is william hill or ladbrooks they offering odds on it i'm not sure i think we did have paddy power which is one of the bookies here to, um who offered odds of for one of the i remember for some of the early yeah. um book awards i mean i think probably you can ask for odds to be um to be quoted I mean, for the you british on, love on a nice uh wager like a flutter yeah uh, do you it's have a, a favorite? A, a, do you get a sense that there's a favorite? My guess, for what it's worth, is that the Miller book fits all, ticks all the boxes. And yeah. uh, I'm a big fan of Chris Miller. He's young, he's smart, he's not that well known. It's such an important book. I wouldn't be surprised if that one wins, but that's just my sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't get a vote in the uh, beyond the uh, the choosing of the long list, so I'm not swaying the jury in any way. I, I, I've mentioned it a couple of times already. I really like Dead in the Water. I think it's a great yeah, I haven't read that um, combination of the kind of uh, the thriller narrative and teaching you something new about I said, things I didn't know about global shipping and the way in which the London courts and insurance industry play into that. I agree with you on chip war. Um, I, I mean, Sebastian Malaby is a previous winner um, with his uh, biography of Greenspan. Yeah, so um, he probably won't win. Helen Thompson's brilliant, um, but maybe it's a little too theoretical. But yeah, anyway, I, it, we'll have to do. Uh, we'll have to get back together, uh, Andrew, when when our technology is working a little better, and <laughs> and, and, and maybe do a a show after the awards. Um, what else? Are you reading in addition to to your um your shortlisted financial books? What other books would you recommend to our viewers and listeners? So, well, I'm I've just finished reading um 1983, which is um the book by um uh, it came out a few years ago, in fact, by Taylor Downing. It's about the year in which the world nearly um set off accidentally set off nuclear war. Possibly, yeah, the it's most a great title of a book. Very dangerous year. The dangerous, most dangerous year of the Cold War, even including uh, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, with the number of near misses, most of which, rather ominously for our current state, uh, were sort of human error, human misunderstanding, intelligence lapses. So that that is a gloomy, if rather rather good, uh, run through of that near miss. And then most of the time, I prefer to read. <laughs> imagine after trying to uh, review six hundred business books, I, I actually prefer the solace of the novel. So um, I just read, so I should have read a long time ago, Anne Patchett's book, Bel Canto, which I think was wonderful. And um, Susanna Clarke's book, Piranesi, um, which is a fantastic imaginary world that she conjures um, sort of crossover with reality. Two great novels. Um, Bel Canto is the book about the, um, uh, based on the hostage situation in, um, I think Peru a few years ago, but in this version, an opera singer is trapped in the hostage situation, and it's about the the healing power of music, if you like, as well as having a sort of tense thriller quality to it. So both of those I highly recommend. 